Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gilby Freeman, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back in action this weekend at the Apex for UFC Vegas 44. Jose Aldo versus Rob Font. We'll of course be breaking down that fight as well as two other absolute bangers on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, I will, as always, be talking to two of the fighters on the card. Alex Morano and Claudio Puelles stop by for a quick chat with me. And we're going to get you to all of that great content. But before we do, I'm going to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, I am giving you a bonus pick that you can only hear on the Top Turtle MMA page at Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Alex Morano, who fights Mickey Gall at UFC Vegas 44. That fight is, of course, on December 4th. So, Alex, before we get to talking about you and Mickey Gall and that really exciting fight, I do want to ask, last time we talked, your good friend Ricky Tercios was inside the Ultimate Fighter house. You said you had a good feeling about how he'd do. And obviously, we watched it all happen live. We watched him not only get out of the house, but win the show what, what was it like watching your friend on TV like that and getting to watch him, you know, be triumphant at the end as well? Yeah, you know, it was funny. You know, he, he comes home after everything's all done. And I, and I thought for sure he would give me the spoilers. And he did not. He, he just kept saying, like, let's just wait till the episode airs. Let's wait till the episode airs. And then the only thing is when, uh, when he did, when he when when he did have to start training for his fight team, I was like, all right, Ricky, you got to tell me who you're fighting. I got to know, like, what we're what we're preparing for. So he, he did kind of give me, like, the style breakdown. Didn't ever officially say anything, but I kind of figured it out. But, I mean, I, I really studied all the guys who were in the house with him, and I knew he was going to have a really good chance of, uh, of of winning the show so long as he showed up and did his Ricky thing. And sure enough, man, he put a pace on those boys. And, man, he had back-to-back-to-back just wars with those dudes, including the finale. And, man, it was fun. Yeah, it it certainly was fun to watch. Now, I'm curious, too, about a couple of things. So he he was tight-lipped about the whole thing, wouldn't give you an opponent. Is that normal for him? Is is that, like, a really surprising, or is he usually, like, an open book? Um, No, you know, I can only imagine kind of like what the UFC – had had told him about the confidentiality. And I also, I am a, the kind of person, I am a persistent uh, inform, information, just kind of like shark, man. If, if there's something I want to know, I'm going to do my best to figure it out. And, uh, and, and once I realized I wasn't going to get much out of him, I actually kind of stopped trying. <clears throat> and then after seeing a few of the episodes, I really started to break it down and calculate it. 
And uh, and then every time one of the 135ers would get eliminated, I would get like a bigger and bigger picture. And uh, and then so, you know, I actually was able to kind of figure it out before because, you know, I, I knew he had done very well. But uh, but once I just I mean, yeah, it was no, he he did a good job. But he was not nearly as as open as I anticipated. And I'm um, last question about Ricky, because obviously this interview is about you. It's not about him. But I'm curious about how you felt he was portrayed on the show, because it seems like fans flock to Ricky Tercios and his his personality and all that stuff. Did, did it seem like that that's the Ricky you know? Like, is that the, the vibe you got off of it? You know, yeah, they didn't do as much character development. I thought since uh, it was a, a a new season, kind of a comeback season, they were going to do uh, maybe a different format, but, you know, each character, I mean, each fighter had their episode – and they really didn't show that much stuff in the house, which I was a little bummed about. But I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty consistent, tough, and we, you know, we got what we were kind of expecting. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's switch gears to talking about you because you know you mentioned helping Ricky get ready for that fight and helping him plan and and know the style matchup. I, I know that you do training because you you run and own Gracie Barra Woodlands. But also, I know you've done work at Fortis MMA a lot, too, in prepping for fights. What is it sort of like for you balancing those two all the time? And what has it been like in this camp specifically? Man, it's such a perfect relationship. I go up to Fortis in the beginning of every week. I hit my real hard sessions. You know, my boy Jeff Neal's got a fight coming up the week after me. My boy Ramez Brahimai is fighting Court McGee in January. So I got some real good striking looks, some really strong grappling looks. You know, that I, I come home about midweek, I usually need a day off to recover. And then later in the week, I uh, <clears throat> I uh, refine everything that I feel like I could have done better in Dallas. So, like, I work with my striking coach especially. We kind of we kind of hit drills, go over some pad work. I do the same thing with the jiu-jitsu front, head back up to Dallas, try the new stuff. And I really rinse and repeat pretty well. And, man, I love it because I don't get too burnt out from the super hard training. I get, you know, for for as much hard work as I do, I do as much tactical work. It's, it's awesome. That certainly seems like it works really well. Now, you mentioned getting really good looks in grappling. And obviously, that's the thing that people know Mickey Gall for. Mickey Gall, not known as like a, you know, famed striker. He's known as a guy who does a really good job on the mat. In fact, his last fight was a very quick submission victory over Jordan Williams. Did you see that fight? And if so, what do you think of his jujitsu and how it's progressed? Uh, I've been a, I've been a black belt under Draculino, who's a, as legit as they get, um, for seven years now. I've been a black belt longer than I've been in the UFC, and Mickey Gall's solid, but, uh, but there's just no way I'm going to be getting, you know, chased around on the ground. Mickey Gall did look really, really good this last fight. Honestly, his striking looks pretty crisp as well, but I feel like I've fought, I've fought a lot more, um, uh, a lot more difficult opponents he has than he has in the UFC. You know, I have as many as many fights in the UFC as you know, I have, I have more fights in the UFC than he does fights as a pro. You know, I know he's been pretty selective as opponents. He got in really early. I just know he's going to be facing like a super kind of pissed off veteran in this fight and myself, and and I'm going to just try to put a pace on him and not overlook him and, and just do as much damage as possible like I always do. Now, now, you mentioned your own black belt in there and noting that there, there's basically levels to this, right? There, there could be multiple black belts in there, and obviously there are ones that look much better than others. Do you feel that you are a vastly superior grappler than him? And if so, 
do you intend to take the fight there too? Um, I mean, you've watched my fights. I don't really go for takedowns. No, I'm, same thing. Planning for a third round finish. Um, I hope he stands and trades. I plan on him trying to grapple hard. Happy to grapple. My coach in Dallas is also really trying to get me to use my groundwork more in fights. But uh, but yeah, I, I expect this fight to take place at range on the feet, in the clinch, and on the ground. So I'm ready for that. So you mentioned your coach trying to talk you into grappling more often, because obviously you are very skilled on the mats. What what's sort of the reason why you you do prefer to stay on the feet? You don't shoot more takedowns. You you don't go to that side of your game more often. You know what? I don't know. That's a, I mean, I guess I do know. That's a good question. You know, when I was an amateur, everyone seemed so intimidated about the striking aspect in MMA. You know, it's 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 the scariest part. So we I just chose to make what everyone was most intimidated about doing my strength and just really focused on that, feel like I really understand it, and uh, and just thrive there. And I'm just so comfortable, you know, standing and managing distance and dodging punches and landing counters. It just became my game. Plus, you know, I was a fan before I was a fighter, and as a fan, I would always appreciate the fighters who would stand there and trade, and there's no way I'm going to sit there and be a hypocrite. So <laughs> I just became, that, that became my style. Well, now, if you do get that third-round TKO you were talking about in this fight, it would be your third win this year, which is obviously a really nice run for you in a career that has had, you know, some winning streaks, but a little bit of blips in the road as well. Where do you think that puts you as far as the welterweight picture and kind of how that works all together? You know what? I'm just I'm I looked at I looked at the full roster uh, recently, and. Uh, and and I, I there was like seventy something welterweights and I was happy to fight any one of them. I I'm not really looking to chase rankings. I'm not looking to stay away from them either. But I just I'm gonna I'm gonna fight fun fights and I want to get paid doing it. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm really having a good time. And uh, and I don't really plan on changing my mo. Well, I love that mentality. Now I I did before I let you go. I did want to ask one question about your mentality or surrounding the sport, and and it sort of dovetails well into that answer. And you're, you're obviously still young. You're, you're not an old guy for the game at all, but you are 11 years into your MMA career and in five in your UFC career. So you, you've really had quite a veteran's career at this point, even though you're, you're quite young still. How do you look back at it all at this point? Do you have time to reflect on just kind of what your career has been at this point? Yeah, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to that, that Jim Miller vibe, man. I'm looking for 30 fights. My goal is to get 10 fights. Made it. I'm, this is fight number 15, you know, so I made a new goal of 20 fights and I just don't see myself slowing down. I feel better than I ever have physically, you know, like in my body and in my actual strength. And, uh, and this is one of those, one of those things until I feel like, uh, you know, the damage is too high or the, uh, the love isn't there. I'm going to, I'm going to keep fighting and I'll tell you, I'm more enthused now than I've ever been. So again, and I got, I got no complaints. And, and I'm looking for at least another 15. Well, we're looking forward to seeing those 15. But, of course, the first one in that big list is this upcoming December 4th fight with Mickey Gall. Once again, fans, this was Alex Morano, who fights Mickey Gall at UFC Vegas 44 on December 4th. Alex, thanks so much for the time, man. I do really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Alex Morano. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland. Join now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, 
Let, let's start here with a little bit of friendly banter about the guy who's on the tip of everybody's tongue, or seemingly now everybody is on the tip of his tongue, and that's Kamzat Shemaev. The dude has called out pretty much everybody in the whole world to either a cage fight, a wrestling match, um, a polka dancing competition, or something else. What are your thoughts right now on Kamzat Shemaev and all he's going in on? Uh, I like where he's at as far as playing the social media game. I do wonder if he's the one doing it or if there might be some social media manager uh, help behind that. I know the UFC obviously thinks very highly of him. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe they sent some tips and tricks. I mean, he's good at what he's doing here. Um, You know, calling out GSP, calling out Brock Lesnar. He's getting people talking. He knows exactly the right buttons to push. I'm giving him a 9 out of 10 on a social media game. So if he keeps up what he's doing in the ring with what he's doing in a social media game, the UFC is going to have their first full-blown star on their hands since, I guess, the emergence of Izzy the past few years, who, coincidentally, also tremendous at social media. Yeah, it is interesting, too, that it it seems like, and you're 100% right, it might be a social media manager or something, but... I feel like we are seeing a new younger generation of like fighters who seem to understand Twitter and social media even better than like stars like Conor McGregor did, right? Like Conor McGregor came up in the social media age, but like, I feel like because he didn't grow up with social media, it was different. But then you got guys like Adrian Yanez and you got guys like Kamzat Shemaev and you got guys like Randy Costa who are a little bit on the younger side and maybe like grew up with that stuff or had it in middle school or high school and they're, they're like a different animal with it. They seem to understand it better than maybe, you know, like I said, that Conor McGregor's and Ronda Rousey's did, even though they were big hits. So it, it is definitely an interesting way of angling yourself into it. But plus, you're, you're 100% right. I'm giving him 9 out of 10. He's hitting all the names he should hit. And it's like, hey, it's it's a headline on just about every single MMA media site out there. Yep, so he is doing his job, and we're doing our job because we're going to bring you our favorite segment on the show this week, uh, or every week, that is, but this week it's a special edition because we didn't have any fights last weekend, Gumby, and that sucked, but we have fights to talk about this week. So it is time for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Uh, It'll be for UFC Vegas 44, and before we get into it, one may wonder if any company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Well, we have a new sponsor this week. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. Check out Nichols over at his Instagram handle, at 55DoubleNichols55. My guy will send you five picks each and every morning from the world of MLB, NHL, NBA, any, of course, MMA. And I'm not lying when I'm saying he's hitting five almost each and every day. And if not, he's hitting four of them. Unlike a lot of those guys who are trying to get you to follow their picks each and every week, he's giving you more than just that. He hits you with tips and insights that consistently put him at the front of the game. If you don't believe me, well, you you may be alone on that because nearly 27,000 people are following him right now and with prices that never exceed 10 bucks a day and go as low as underneath $4 a day, there's no reason not to give him a try. Plus, when you mention our podcast, when you sign up, he'll hit you with a 10% discount. Don't delay. That's at 55DoubleNichols55 on Instagram, Double Nichols Sports Betting. All right. Uh, excited to have him a part of the show as a sponsor, and it's a perfect segue because we're going to be breaking down some fights and giving a little gambling advice ourselves. And we got a banger of a main event this week. We have Rob Fawn, a minus 145 favorite, to Jose Aldo, a very slight uh, plus 125 dog, Jose Aldo. The former bantamweight champion is on a two-fight win streak 
since uh, losing three in a row to Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, Marlon Moraes, and Piotr Jan, uh, which he lost via TKO. That was for the vacant Bantamweight title when Jan won the title originally back in July of 2020. Jose Aldo quietly almost has reeled off a nice two-fight win streak with wins over Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz, looking to make it three in a row against Rob Font. But Font himself is on a four-fight win streak, wins over Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, Cody Garbrandt, and Sergio Pettis. Very nice resume he's building up. Uh, that dates back to a loss, Rafa Sunsau. So since losing to Rafa Sunsau, he's won four in a row. What I find absolutely LOL about these two guys fighting is that Rob Font made his MAU in 2011. Jose Aldo made his MMA debut in 2004. So six years he's been fighting longer, more mileage on the tank than Rob Font. Made his UFC debut in the year 2011, did Jose Aldo, coming over from WEC. That's the year that, again, Font made his MMA debut as a whole. And here's the punchline. They're both about 35 years old. Font turns 35 in June of 2022. Jose Aldo is 35 right now. So same age but a shit ton different level of experience. Who you got? I think, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I'm going to go with Jose Aldo on this one. Um, I, you know, and I really like Rob Font. Uh, he's a Massachusetts guy. I'm a Massachusetts guy. I mean, I think with the exception of that, that Piotr Jan fight, which in retrospect, the Piotr Jan fight, not even that bad for Jose Aldo because Piotr Jan looks like an absolute killer now. Uh, like, with the exception of that, he's he's won two in a row at Bantamweight. Uh, the, one of the other ones he lost, I mean, a lot of ju- people in the media thought he beat uh, Marlon Marias in that fight and just kind of got screwed out of a decision. I think it was close, but he's like, you know, a, a whisker away from being 3-1 and one in the UFC with only a loss, or the UFC's Bantamweight division, rather, with only a loss to the champion. And, man, did he look absolutely phenomenal last time out, you know, just beating the hell out of Pedro Munoz. And... Not that I don't respect what it is Rob Font has done, because, you know, he, he's beaten some good guys in his own right. The last win was obviously very, very impressive. But, like, he just doesn't have the style of people who typically beat Jose Aldo, right? Like, if you're looking at those guys who have had a who have given Aldo a really tough time, which really, in my opinion, only a couple of people have given him a really tough time. You know, Volkanovski dominated him by putting him up against the cage and kind of wearing on him. Max Holloway put a pace on him that he just absolutely couldn't keep up with. You know, Piotr Jan, same thing, grinded on him, wore him out. Rob Font doesn't have that style. Rob Font isn't going to put you up against the cage. Rob Font isn't going to hit you with so much volume that you can't keep up. And if you let Jose Aldo stay around in fights and strike a distance with you... Man, I, I like his chances to win those types of fights. I definitely think this is going the full five rounds. I don't think either of these guys is getting a finish. But if you ask me where my money lies on this one, I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking Jose Aldo. I really respect the pick, and I think it's a really close fight. Obviously, the odds, um, yes, Font, you know, I guess you could say somewhat of a strong favorite at minus 145, but Aldo, just a very slight dog to me at plus 125. It's a close fight, no matter how you cut it. And I'm going to take Font here. I think he'll catch Jose. I like his power more so than I like Jose's power, while Jose has the crisper striking and probably the speed advantage. At the very least, the 2014 version of Jose Aldo had a speed advantage. I don't think the speed advantage is there anymore. And I think when you see Jose Aldo fight top flight competition in the year 2021 and 2020, let's say, now I'm trying to say in the present, I just think he loses, and I think Font is 
you know, do I think Font's a future champion? No, but I think he's like a 1A to this division. I think he's really at the tops. Um, and I don't know. I, I lean Font on this, but I really respect your pick of Jose, and it would be a cool storyline as well because he'd be building, you know, that kind of late Gloverian win streak to get back in the title hunt, obviously a reference to Glover Teixeira, but we'll find out this Saturday. Very exciting fight. Let's move then to another exciting fight. Holy hell is this great. We have Brad Riddell and Raphael Fizia facing off at 155. We mentioned both of these guys, Riddell specifically, uh, when we were talking about up-and-coming stars and what we are thankful for during our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, and let me tell you something. Vegas has no idea what to make of this fight. Riddell, a minus 110. Fiziev, a minus 110, which is to say, coin toss. Fiziev on a four-fight win streak. He debuted in the UFC on a loss and now has reeled off four wins in a row. Wins over Mark Diakese and Alex White via decision, Bobby Green via decision, and he KO'd Hanato Moicano. His last fight was the Bobby Green win, the unanimous decision, in August. So uh, just a few months ago, quick turnaround, more or less. Brad Riddell, also somewhat of a quick turnaround. He beat Drew Dober back in June, and now here he is. I wouldn't call that a quick turnaround, but, you know, four months later, he's fighting again for a second time in 2021. Uh, Riddell himself is on a four-fight win streak in the UFC. You'd have to go back all the way to July of 2018 when he lost in Hex Fight Series 15 to Bell Brits. He's 10-1 and overall in his career, 4-0 and in the UFC Coming off the big win over Drew Dober, here's the real question of the week. Who you got? Ooh, this is a tight one. And if you've actually looked at the, the line and how it's moved minute to minute, week to week, day to day, like it keeps moving towards Fiziev being a mild favorite and then right back to being even. So it's almost like the money keeps coming in on Fiziev and Brad Riddell, uh, maybe Brad Riddell stands, get in on that plus money when it's there for a split second. Um, it, at, at the moment right now, it, like you said, it's a pick em. I'm still going to take Brad Riddell here. I'm going to hope it moves back into the plus money before I bet him. But I really do think Brad Riddell has got a couple of paths to victory. And the thing is, is I think Fiziev only has one. Um, and I don't mean that to be reduction, you know, like a, a reducing Rafael Fiziev to just being a kickboxer. I just haven't been really impressed with his grappling game. Um, you know, he took down Mark Casey one time, which like, you know, he gets taken down. Um, you know, he, he knocked out Moicano, which is a, something we haven't seen Brad Riddell do. So, like, he has dimensions to his game. But largely, I see, like, if Fiziev wants to win this fight, it's going to be a kickboxing match. And hopefully he lands his big bomb. And that's kind of his thing. He could certainly put the volume on Brad Riddell. But I think you're going to see a stand-up fight that's mostly going to resemble what happens when you get two really talented kickboxers in there with one another. You're going to see him kickbox and kind of respect each other. The difference maker for me is I think Riddell is a good wrestler. I, I think he's got sort of underrated wrestling. He took down Drew Dober five times, which is not an easy thing to do. Drew Dober, fairly good at takedown defense. Um, you know, obviously he had some problem with Islam Bakashev, but he, he's had, you know, good times with a lot of other fighters. But he didn't have a good time with Brad Riddell. So I, I'm going to say I'm going to lean Brad Riddell here. I think he just like steals a round or two in there with the takedown. Um, in, in the fact that he could probably go 50-50 with him standing up anyway means, you know, that takedown will probably be the difference maker. All right. Totally fair. Can't wait for that one. Um, and this one, you know, not as exciting as the first two, but we will get to see Jimmy Crute, who we are a fan of on the show. <coughs> Excuse me. Didn't, meet, didn't get the cough button in time on that one. Uh, Jimmy Crute's coming off a loss to Anthony Smith via TKO. 
He was on a two-fight win streak before that. Uh, and now he's going to be facing Jamal Hill. Crute is the favorite. He's a minus-180 favorite, Jamal Hill. You can get a plus-155. Crute coming off the loss. Hill also coming off a loss. He just lost to Paul Craig via TKO back in June of this year. He beat Ovin St. Pru via TKO before that. Had a no contest, uh, overturned. Uh, it was originally a, a win for him, but he tested positive for the, you know, just evil drug marijuana. Uh, also won in his UFC debut, plus a win on Contender Series. So his only loss really in the UFC is to Paul Craig. If you count Contender Series, he's 4-1 and one in the UFC. But Hill, a plus 155 dog here. Do you have enough reason to take him here in an upset, or are you going with a favorite crew? I'm going with the favorite crew, and for a bunch of reasons. I actually think the value is still there on Jimmy Crude if you can get him at negative 180. Because the thing is, is while Jamal Hill looked impressive in his run, the first time he ran into somebody who could really grapple him, he struggled. He had a really tough time. And Jimmy Crew is not just a decent grappler. He's an amazing grappler. He's got great top game. He's won twice by Kimura. Do you know how rare it is to have a UFC fighter who has two wins by Kimura? And on top of that, one of the people who he beat by Kimura was Paul Craig, the guy who, I mean, it went down as a TKO, but it was because he broke Jamal Hill's arm uh, with a submission that the fight had to be stopped. So, yeah, it technically goes down as a TKO, um, but, like, it was a submission win. So we've got a guy good at submissions, good at top game, up against a guy who the first time he was tested in that way had trouble with it. Man, do I think Jimmy Crude is a smart play here? Absolutely. And you are going to see him later in our parlay. So stay tuned for more talking about how great Jimmy Crude is. Well, let's just get right to it then. We'll go with our parlay to play before our dog. Crude uh, minus 180, Alex Morano minus 220. Pair them together. Get your plus, mon- plus money at plus 125. So we already know you like Crude. You like putting him in the parlay. Let's hear about Alex Morano. So I like Alex Morano for a lot of reasons. First of all, Mickey Gall, I think, is probably coming in closer to even money than he would have if this fight happened I don't know, let's say six months ago, because Mickey Gall had that big win over Jordan Williams where he looked absolutely dominant. But since then, we've seen Jordan Williams look very pedestrian and really terrible, Uh, so much so that I'm not sure the UFC has officially released him yet, but we're talking about three or four losses in a row for Jordan Williams. Um, I think it's probably inevitable. So that win for Mickey Gall doesn't age well. Meanwhile, Murano has looked excellent in some recent fights, including knocking out Donald Cerrone. Like, he, he's just looked really tough at, at, at 170 pounds. Sure, he's got some losses in there that maybe we don't love, like getting outpointed by uh, Anthony Pettis. But we're talking about a guy who, on the ground, is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a third-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, um, up against Mickey Gall, who's pretty much his only thing is his ability to grapple. So, uh, you know, I, I think as long as Alex Morano, you know, is the one to dictate the grappling, he should be fine, even if he's not the one to dictate the grappling. I think his defense is good enough here where he stays away from it, wins this fight on the feet, um, and, and the result gets us uh, plus 125 in a turnaround here with True. All right, let's uh, wrap things up on our dog of the week. On a week where you picked Jose Aldo as a plus 125 dog, the former champ, you have a dog of the week you like even more at even more favorable odds, and it's Chris Curtis. Let's hear it. So first of all, before we brag about taking Chris Curtis here at plus 270, let's let's brag a little bit about last, uh, well, two weekends ago's pick. Shai Yolan Nordenbike cashing at plus 245. So before you start knocking me for taking a guy at 270, note we almost hit one two weeks ago exactly that same price. 
Yeah, I'm thinking Chris Curtis here against Brendan Allen. It sounds crazy, but Chris Curtis went in there, absolutely demolished Phil Hawes his last fight as an even bigger underdog here. And look, listen, I think Phil Hawes is better than Brendan Allen. Chris Curtis is amazingly durable. He's got a good enough defense here where I don't worry about Brendan Allen's boxing. Brendan Allen has kind of fallen in love with his boxing since moving to Sanford MMA. Sure, he could grapple up Chris Curtis, and I could be totally wrong here, but the longer this stays on the feet, the more chance Chris Curtis has of using those big bombs, knocking out Brendan Allen, and cashing us plus 270. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. And you can follow along during the fights this weekend on our Twitter feed, at MMA. We'll be commenting on all the fighters discussed today and everyone else on the card. And you can let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with these picks. Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. Where do we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Claudio Puelish, who fights fights this weekend at UFC Vegas 44, as well as Alex Morano. So before we get to that, I do need to let you know that this uh, interview is being brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh, so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal. Get yourself Maroon Social. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Claudio Puelish. All right, and joining me today is Claudio Puelish, who fights Chris Grutzmacher at UFC Vegas 44. That fight is on December 4th, so... Claudia, we, we actually talked prior to your last fight about your move out of Peru and into Sanford MMA in Florida. Now, you've had a little bit more time there. I, I want to ask, how has the training situation been with like a little bit more of an extended time at Sanford MMA? Hi, Dan. How are you? Um, it's going very well. This is going to be my second. Uh, well, this was my second camp at uh, Sanford MMA. It's almost almost over. Uh, and yeah, for sure, uh, being a second camp, I already like, um, knew all my training partners, like the coaches a little better, like the relationships are uh, a little stronger, you know? So, uh, yeah, I definitely feel, feel like Sanford MMA is my, my, my new home now as a, as of a gym. And, uh, yeah, I'm very happy. I'm very happy, uh, going into this fight. And you mentioned a little bit about comfortability and, and being comfortable with your surroundings, your coaches, your training partners, all that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, that helps your game tremendously. But is there a, a part of your game in your fighting style since being at Sanford MMA that you've noticed has changed the most? Um, I couldn't say, like, an area specifically. Uh, you guys can let me know maybe after the fight what do you think. <laughs> but... uh. I think overall my game has improved. I have improved as an athlete and uh and uh yep like basically everything. I feel I feel I'm 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 a way better fighter now than I was a year ago. Well that that's awesome to hear. Now obviously here too you know you're you're saying you're a better fighter than you were even a year ago, but you're on a hell of a winning streak. You've now won 3 straight in the UFC since losing in the Ultimate Fighter finale. You know, that's an incredible run for just about any division, but especially in a tough division like lightweight. A win here would make it four in a row. What, what do you feel like coming out of this fight, if you, you should pick up the win against Chris Grutzbacher, what are you looking at uh, idealistically after a four-fight winning streak? Well, first of all, I think uh, it depends on the on the way I win. Um, if a finish is a, 
the the form of win. I think I should be uh, maybe uh, being match, matched against a ranked opponent next. I mean, I hope so. If I don't get a win, I mean, I still hope for hope for the same. But uh, we'll see. No, you, we'll see uh, what happens after the fight. I think I think that should that, those will be like the options. Well, I, I like that mentality going in there looking for a finish. Now, let's talk about that fight a little bit because Chris Grutzlocker, a guy who does quite a bit of grappling, and, and really it's your your second straight booking where it seems like the opponent they've given you, before the one before being Jordan Levitt, it's your second straight fight where they've given you somebody who seems to lean on their grappling more than their striking. How, how do you feel about that personally? What do you think that says about your style? Uh, Well, they first matched me all with strikers, so... Um, I don't know. It's kind of like everybody's everybody's like kind of like good everywhere nowadays. So I don't know if he's like really a grappler. I thought of, of him more of like an MMA fighter, which is fine. Like I I'm not really like hand picking opponents. I don't mind like grappler, striker, MMA fighter, jiu-jitsu guy. Like you know, uh, I'm preparing for like everything, and I'm preparing for for a three round war if I if it needs to be. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for everything. You're gonna, you you guys, you guys see that day, that night. <laughs> well, we're excited to do that. Now, I, I did want to ask you. You know, obviously the move from Peru to Florida was a tough one, especially being in COVID times where there's not a lot of travel that's allowed, not a lot of travel that you, you can make to go see family and friends. And I assume you've got a whole bunch of more family back in Peru. What what is that like for you now in this time where you know, travel is still not super easy? Um, from country to country, especially to South America. What, what is it like for you living, you know, half the world away right now in Florida? Oh, man. Uh, it's actually a pain in the butt right now to think about that because, like, now that they're requiring all these, like, uh, vaccination cards and everything, it kind of it feels, like, limited. Like, before, I, re- I didn't really feel that far away because it's only five and a half hours away from my home city in Lima, Peru. So it's not really a long flight. Like flight tickets are like very cheap. Uh, I've, I've, I've gotten like under 300 bucks. So that's pretty cheap. But, um, now with, uh, those like requirements, they're asking the, the vaccination, like proof and everything, like full vaccination and everything. I feel like they're starting to limit us. And I, I, I don't really like, like that a lot. That's kind of like control. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's getting like harder every time. So they go around and yeah, it's not like very satisfying. Well, I I am certainly hard. Sorry to hear that. Now I I do know you've said before too, that, that you, you kind of carry Peru on your back. There are, there aren't a lot of Peruvian MMA fighters out there, especially that have made it to this stage. What what do you kind of feel like the view of MMA is in Peru now? Like, are are you well known around uh, on the streets of Peru? When you go to Lima, do people stop and see you and say, Hey, that's the, the most famous Peruvian MMA fighter in the world. Like what is sort of Peruvian MMA look like? Uh, well, I mean, not all the time. It's not like I get stopped all the time. Maybe, maybe sometimes, especially from like the fans. It's not like people in Peru are like crazy over the sport. Like, like they are for, for like soccer. But, uh, for sure I carry, I carry Peru like on my back always in every fight and every move I do. They know. And, um, I, I, I do it very proudly. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope they're proud of, like, every move I make as well because um, I've always, like, gave everything in every fight and and try to um, get a lot of, like, I've always tried to help 
other fighters, like other like local fighters. I've uh, gotten some like to like develop as amateurs. Or I've like helped people. Like they're they're very different like ways. You know, like I I always want to get more Peruvian fighters like um, uh, to the top to the best organizations in the world. Uh, there was a time a couple of years ago that we had a couple like fighters, more than a couple. We had some fighters in the UFC, but at the moment it's only me and and well, I want I want to be a I want to make like me a group again. You know, I don't I don't want to be the only one. I want to be like a group of Peruvians and like start like taking over, have like top fighters in every division. That would be something I would really enjoy. But that comes from inside. It's like you got to start inside the country first and. Uh, I feel like the pandemic like stopped all of that. It like kind of like um, um, became like a little tough to fight in the in the country with all the COVID because they're like very panicked over there about the COVID. But uh, events are like starting to like um, go again. There has been a couple already. So yeah, fighters need activity, and that's uh, the most like important part of like developing fighters. <laughs> Well, I love hearing that somebody who's made it to the top is, is still thinking about the local scene and still helping people out. That's great to hear. Now, obviously, you could also do a lot for Peruvian MMA by by making a scene this week or you know the weekend of December fourth. So, tell me a little bit about how you see this fight going, and if you have one, what's your prediction for how it ends? Um, I don't have like a a prediction, like 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 an exact prediction, but I think the fight will either uh, go three hard rounds or, or I get a finish. I don't know what round. I don't really want to like predict it like exactly because uh, I don't know, but I think it may go three rounds. He's he's very tough. I mean, he can take like uh, punches. I don't really know how good he is on the ground. Uh, I think I've proven that I'm good, but I don't know. We'll see how, how he is. I, I consider I'm like high level like in the grappling department, so um, I'll see if he can if he can hang with me in there. If we do hit the mat, I don't know. I mean, I I do think we're gonna hit the mat for sure. Uh, either if he like tries to go for for a takedown or I go for a takedown, whatever. But we're gonna be down there at some point in the in the in the fight. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good fight. He he comes down to uh um he comes to, like in for a fight and and well I I do I do as well for sure. Well, we are certainly looking forward to that fight. Now, fans, once again, this was Claudio Puelles who fights Chris Grutzmacher at UFC Vegas 44. That fight is on December 4th. Claudio, thank you so much for the time, man. I do really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the interview. Happy to be here again in the program. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Double Nickels Sports Betting. Make sure to follow him at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram, as well as Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And speaking of following on social medias, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.